you ever felt exhausted or felt overwhelmed or burned out? Maybe you feel like that now. During the COVID pandemic, reported rates of burnout and exhaustion went through the roof as people were isolated and having to figure out how to order their lives and get their work accomplished in new ways. There were many news articles and studies about healthcare workers particularly and the burnout that they experienced during the peak of the pandemic as hospitals were overwhelmed and they were worked to death. They were not just extremely busy, but they felt the weight of responsibility they had to care for people who were suffering from an illness that no one had ever seen before. And people's lives were in their hands. And is this not the reason that people feel burnout and exhaustion? They either have more to do than they think that they can get done, or they are carrying a huge burden of responsibility. Sometimes both of those things are true at the same time. Maybe one or both of those things are true of you this morning. Maybe you do not know how it is possible to do all that you need to do. Or maybe you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Maybe it feels as if things at work will fall apart without you. If you're a teacher, maybe you feel the burden of caring for all those young children that you are teaching. Maybe you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders because your family back home is depending on you to provide. Or maybe you feel burdened because you are caring for a sick family member. That type of pressure can lead you to feel exhausted or overwhelmed or burned out. The bottom line reality, though, is that we sometimes experience exhaustion and burnout because we are finite. We are limited. We are not God. We do not have endless reserves of wisdom or strength. We do not have an endless capacity to work. We feel the burden of responsibility because we do not have endless strength. We do not have the power to control all things. Friends, this is why God has designed us to rest. God's design for us to rest is both a grace to us in our weakness a grace to us in our weakness and a reminder of our own finiteness and our own insufficiency. Uh, Friends, your insufficiency and your weakness ultimately invite you to trust in your all-sufficient Savior. Recall the words of the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Well, exhaustion and burnout was what Moses faced in our text for this morning. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18, or you can find the text in your bulletin. Moses was leading an entire nation of people on a journey through the wilderness. He was certainly overworked, and he also must have felt like the weight of the world was on his shoulders as he led the people of Israel. As we will see, he seemed to be on the verge of exhaustion. But Moses' insufficiency as the leader of God's people ultimately pointed to Israel's need for a greater leader. Moses' insufficiency pointed forward to Jesus and his sufficiency. Moses' weakness points forward to Jesus' strength. And there is a lesson in that for both you and the church. Our insufficiency highlights God's sufficiency. Your weakness is intended to teach you to rely on his strength. 
And so I have two points for you today to help us consider that idea. The first is God's all-sufficient strength. And the second is Moses' insufficient strength. God's all-sufficient strength and Moses' insufficient strength. So first, God's all-sufficient strength that we see in verses 1 through 12. So please follow along starting at Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, along with her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, because Moses had said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land, and the other Eliezer, because he helped because he had said, the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and then kissed him. They asked each other how they had been and went into the tent. Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who has rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when all the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. Well, there was no bold or italics in Hebrew, uh, the language in which the Old Testament was written. So the biblical authors often emphasized a theme or an idea through repetition. Oh, we see that in our text this morning. Just notice how many times God's deliverance is mentioned in our verses. Verse 1, Jethro had heard of everything God had done. Verse 8, Moses recounted all that God had done. Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced over all that God had done. Verse 10, Jethro blessed the Lord for rescuing Israel. Verse 11, Jethro says that he knows the Lord is greater than all gods because of the wonders that he performed. The author is making a point. He is emphasizing something to you. He is emphasizing God's mighty deeds, God's power, God's strength, because he wanted you to recognize that God's glory and God's power and God's strength are the focus of these verses as it has been for so much of Exodus. Friends, the primary purpose of God redeeming his people from Egypt was not their salvation. That was a purpose in redeeming his people from Egypt. But the primary purpose was for God to make his name known by revealing his glory and his power, his strength to both Israel, Egypt, and really the entire world. So God's declaration in Exodus chapter 9, verses 14 through 16, serve as something of a purpose statement for the Exodus. This is what God told Moses to say to Pharaoh. For this time, I am about to send all my plagues against you, your officials and your people. 
then you will know there is no one like me on the whole earth. By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague, and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. Friends, did you catch that? God's purpose in sending plague after plague against Pharaoh and the Egyptians was to show his power to the Egyptians, as well as to make his name known on the whole earth. Over and over again, as God told the Israelites and Pharaoh that he was sending plagues, he said that he was sending them so that you will know that I am the Lord. Well, the, the bottom line is that God's purpose in the Exodus was to make his name known so that all might trust in him and rely on him. His purpose was to make his name known. His purpose was to make his power known, his greatness known, his all-sufficient strength known, his glory known. A Christian, the same thing is true about your own salvation. Yes, God saved you for your good, but first and foremost, God has saved a people for his own glory. Now, this purpose of God in the Exodus was partially fulfilled when a mixed crowd or a mixed multitude left Egypt along with Israel, likely to include Egyptians. We saw that back in Exodus chapter 12. God's power displayed in these plagues that had come to Egypt led many non-Israelites to say, you know what? I think we want to be with Israel. Uh, we want their God to be our God too. We're going to go ahead and, and leave with them. Uh, we see the partial fulfillment of God's purpose in the Exodus again in our verses for this morning. We see it in the person of Jethro. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law that he had lived with for 40 years during his own time in Midian before he returned to, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. But more significantly, Jethro was a Gentile. He was not one of the people of Israel. But we see what happened in Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. He heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. He heard about God's mighty deeds. And we see in verse 8 that Moses took the time to tell Jethro of all of God's mighty deeds in rescuing Israel from Egypt. He told him about all of God's provision and protection of Israel in their journey through the wilderness after they had crossed through the Red Sea. And Moses did not take credit himself for the deliverance from Egypt. It would have been pretty easy for him to do that. He did not boast about his own courage and his own contributions. And Moses did not take the glory. He instead gave the glory to God. He proclaimed God's strength that carried both him and Israel during their time of need, during their own weakness. Brothers and sisters, is this not what we are to do as well? Christian, you are to give God the glory for the great things that he has done for you. This is actually one of the easiest ways that you have to speak of God to others. If they praise you for something, turn and give God praise. Praise him for your salvation, how he saved you in your hour of great need. Declare how his strength has sustained you in this life when you have felt weak. 
James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Which means that any gift or talent that you have, anything that you might call one of your strengths, any one of your successes that you might be tempted to claim credit for is ultimately from the hand of your all-sufficient God. Friends, none of us like it when someone takes credit for something we have done. So do not rob God of his glory for what he has done. It's God who is the, the strength of his people. And brothers and sisters, like the redeemed people of Israel, were a display of God's saving power. They were a display of God's saving power and his all-sufficient strength. So the church today is a testimony to God's power and goodness. We are his redeemed people. A local church is a living picture of a people that God has saved for himself by his all-sufficient power. And therefore, because of what God has done for them, they are to go tell God of God's power and of his goodness and of his glory and of his might to others. And brothers and sisters, we are called to invite others to join and come and taste, and come and taste of God's goodness. We're called to invite others to, to rely on his strength. And notice what happened after Moses told Jethro of the mighty deeds of the Lord. When Jethro became a worshiper of the Lord. He rejoiced over what he heard about God, verse 9. In verses 10 and 11, he praised the Lord and declared that God alone was supreme. And then in verse 12, he offered sacrifices and he worshipped. Sacrifices and worship that were acceptable to God because he then sat in the presence of God with Moses, Aaron, and the elders of Israel. Now, Jethro was transformed from an idol worshiper to a true worshiper. Jethro admitted his own weakness, his own need of this God of great power, and he became a worshiper of the God of all strength. Brothers and sisters, God is powerful to save God's all-sufficient strength was also made evident in another way in these verses that we are studying this morning, perhaps a more indirect way, and that is through Moses' insufficient strength. So look with me, starting at Exodus uh, 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, What is this you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. What you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice, and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, 
and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure, and also all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. Moses let his father-in-law go, and he journeyed to his own land. By some estimates, the nation of Israel was as large as two million people at this time. And it seems that Moses was trying to act as a judge or a mediator for them all. As we see in verse 13, he had to sit from morning until evening to carry out his task. The people would come to him with their problems and their disputes, and as we see in verse 16, he would teach them God's rules and instructions in order to settle the dispute. Well, friends, this would be something like the Sheikh of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed, trying to govern the city without a court system. Just sitting and waiting for everyone in Dubai to come and bring their disputes and bring their problems to him, and then he would mediate them. Now, I get tired of just trying to mediate disputes among my four children. I cannot imagine what Moses was feeling like. Now, Jethro immediately saw the problem with this arrangement. In verses 17 and 18, he told Moses that this was a burden too great for him to bear and that he would burn out if he continued in this way. Now, Jethro told him he would not just wear himself out, but he would wear the people out as well because they would be frustrated that they could not have their cases heard. They would probably be standing around all day or for several days just to have a small dispute heard. This arrangement was not good for anyone. Instead, Jethro advised Moses to select wise and God-fearing men who could help share the load of governing the people. They would decide the simple cases, but bring the difficult cases to Moses. And this would be good for Moses. It would also be good for the people. Jethro submitted his advice humbly. In verse 23, he encouraged Moses to seek the counsel of the Lord and follow his advice if the Lord so directed him. And evidently the Lord did so direct him because it's what Moses did. And we also see in Numbers 10 that the Lord did in fact direct Moses in this way. This counsel of Jethro was ultimately from the Lord. And Moses was humble enough to listen and accept Jethro's advice to share the responsibilities of leadership. Friends, that is a rare thing indeed. Xi Jinping, the president of China, was just elected to his third term as the president after abolishing the two-term limit for Chinese presidents. He did not want to give up power. And he is just the latest in a long line of political leaders throughout history to do something similar. Brothers and sisters, Moses is an example to us in how to humbly receive wise counsel and even how to receive correction. He did not get defensive, but he listened. Moses recognized that his authority ultimately came from the Lord, and therefore he did not seek to jealously guard it, but gave some of it up for the good of all. For the good of himself, but yes, but for the good of the entire nation of Israel. Well, in 1940, in the year 1940, Franklin D. Roosevelt, otherwise known as FDR, was running for his fourth term as U.S. president. Now, this was significant, but because before FDR, no U.S. president had served more than two terms. 
They had all followed the example of the first U.S. president, George Washington, and had voluntarily resigned after two terms in office. But not FDR. He was another man who did not want to give up power. He was elected for a third term, and in 1940, he was running for a fourth term in office. Well, Wendell Wilkie was the name of the man who was competing against FDR to be elected the president of the United States. Uh, in 1940, this was Wendell Wilkie's campaign slogan, his message to the American people during the campaign. His campaign slogan was this, there is no indispensable man. There is no indispensable man. In other words, FDR should be dispensable to you, American people. Now, Wendell Wilkie lost, so perhaps he should have done more to, you know, tell why they should elect him, not just why they should not elect FDR. But that campaign slogan of him, of his, is, is something of the message of these verses we have here this morning. The big truth of these verses is that Moses did not have the strength or wisdom to lead God's people on his own. Moses was not the deliverer of God's people. God was. And Moses was not the leader that the people of Israel most needed. God was. Moses was not the one that they were to depend on. God was. Moses' insufficient strength was ultimately intended to remind the people of God's all-sufficient strength. Yes, God would lead them through Moses, but God was the one in whom they were to place their trust, not Moses. God was to be their strength, not Moses. Really, friends, the whole book of Exodus has sought to communicate this truth. Over and over and over again, Moses' weakness is pointed out in order to magnify God's strength. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses tried to take the deliverance of Israel into his own hands by killing the Egyptian overseer who was beating one of the Israelite slaves. That did not work out so well for Moses. He had to, to flee from Egypt and spend 40 years in Midian. Moses was not the deliverer that the people needed. God was. When God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and commanded him to go back to Egypt and redeem his people, Moses complained that he was a poor speaker and that no one would listen to him. Moses pointed out his own insufficiency for the task. In response, God promised his strength would overcome Moses' weakness and that he would give him the words that he should say. Moses was insufficient for the task, but God was not. When Moses did get to Egypt, neither the people of Israel or Pharaoh did listen to him. He was not able to achieve the redemption of Israel on his own. Instead, God acted through mighty signs and wonders. He sent plague after plague against Egypt to make his name known, to accomplish the salvation of the people of Israel. God was their all-sufficient Savior, not Moses. After the people of Israel were delivered through the Red Sea, Moses was not able to provide food and water for the people. But God did. And as we saw last week, as the Israelites were battling the Amalekites, Moses did not even have the strength to keep his arms raised all day during the battle. And Moses was not the protector of the people of Israel. God was. Well, friends, in our text for today, it is clear that Moses did not have the wisdom, the time, the strength, or the energy, or the endurance to lead and govern the people of God on his own. He would have burned out. 
Moses was insufficient for the task. Friends, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Brothers and sisters, have you ever heard someone say, God will not give you more than you can handle? God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, it is said with good intentions, and it sounds nice, but it's also completely false. I mean, you want the evidence? Just look at the life of Moses. God gives us more than we can handle so that we learn to rely on him. As one author put it, the gospel is not a message of self-sufficiency. It is a message of self-insufficiency. It is a message of reliance on Jesus for his all-sufficiency. We need Jesus. We need Jesus not only to rescue us from our sins, but to walk with us through our difficult and overwhelming circumstances. Friends, Moses' insufficiency pointed forward to the leader and the redeemer and the savior that people ultimately needed. It pointed forward to Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom and the power of God. Friends, this is an important point in understanding and interpreting the Old Testament. There is a a tendency to set up the Old Testament characters as as heroes to be emulated. This is one of the reasons so many children's Bibles focus on the hero stories, like Moses or Joshua or Samson or David, and rarely point out those heroes' shortcomings. The lesson being taught is, be like Joshua, be like David, be like Moses. It reduces the Old Testament to simply a series of moral lessons we are to learn, like be courageous, or 12 leadership lessons that we can learn from the life of Moses. Now, do not misunderstand me. The characters of the Old Testament, these men and women who really lived, they are there as examples to us, both positive and negative. We're seeing some of the ways Moses was an example to us even today. But that is not the only purpose they serve, or even the primary purpose that they serve. Fundamentally, the Old Testament and its stories and its characters point us to Jesus Christ. The lesson of the whole Old Testament is that the heroes and kings and leaders of Israel were not strong enough or good enough to save the people of Israel. They could not save Israel from their biggest problem, their sin, because they were sinners themselves. Moses' ultimate insufficiency was demonstrated by the fact that his own sin eventually prevented him from entering the promised land. Friends, the message of the Old Testament is both the people of Israel and their heroes and their leaders needed Jesus Christ. Friends, God's glory in the Exodus was revealed through mighty signs and wonders. But God's glory was revealed in a surprising way in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus took on the weakness of the human body by becoming man. He was tempted in in every way like we were while he was was on earth. With tiredness, with the, the burden of ministering to a demanding people. Yet despite these temptations, there was one human weakness that Jesus did not share. Friends, he did not share our sin. Jesus did not sin, but he lived a perfect life. And on that basis, he was qualified to bear the burden of our sin on the cross and suffer and die in our place. 
and at the apparent height of weakness, when Jesus died and was buried, God's power was revealed. Because three days after his death, Jesus was risen from the grave, defeating sin and death, and he then ascended into heaven and is seated now at the right hand of the Father in all glory. Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, know that you cannot save yourself. There is no amount of good works that you can do to save yourself. You are completely and utterly inadequate for the task. You need Jesus. You need his perfect life, and you need his atoning death. So the Bible, the message of the gospel, is to turn to him in repentance and faith, to rely on him, to say, I am not strong enough in myself. I'm a sinner, fundamentally weak and broken, and I need Jesus. That's what it means to turn to him in repentance and faith. He is the Savior that you need. Friends, Moses' insufficient strength and wisdom was ultimately a reminder of God's all-sufficient strength and wisdom. There was a strength greater than his own for him to rely on. And friends, that should be an encouragement to you in whatever situation that you find yourself in. That there is a strength greater than your own that you can rely on. The strength of your all-sufficient God. As we saw in the text, Jethro also presented a practical solution to Moses in light of Moses' own weakness. That solution was to share the burden and responsibility of leadership with others. Brothers and sisters, one of the ways that God provides for us in our weakness is by strengthening and equipping others to meet our needs. Is that not what God did for Moses here? He strengthened and equipped other men to help him carry carry the load. And so in Jethro's solution that we find here in Exodus 18, we find an important lesson, not just for us as individual Christians, but for our corporate life together as the church. In this solution, we see something of the purpose and pattern of church leadership and biblical eldership that is made so much clearer in the New Testament. The New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the head of the church. It's like God was the leader and the head of the people of Israel. The New Testament also teaches that God has entrusted the spiritual care and leadership of local churches to elders. And the New Testament teaches, as we saw in Titus chapter 1, that churches should be ordinarily led by a plurality of elders, which is a fancy way of just saying more than one. And, that's for, and the reason for that is for many of the same reasons that we see here in Exodus 18. And one of the reasons that God's pattern for healthy churches is to have a plurality, more than one, biblically qualified elder is that it allows those men to share some of the burdens and responsibilities of ministry. It helps them not burn out so that they can continue to serve the church and shepherd the church eagerly and willingly. Church, on that note, it's been a joy for me to have Pastor Ben as a fellow elder these last two years since I arrived, and I'm extraordinarily grateful that on Friday, you, church, voted him in to serve another three-year term as elder, that you voted him to to serve as an assistant pastor of this church, that you set him aside to to serve the church full-time. Brothers and sisters, it is a good thing for churches to be served by a plurality of elders. The, The biblical pattern of church leadership is also a reminder to both the pastors and the church that the church is not dependent on one man. 
There is no indispensable man. I am certainly not all wise and all strong, and neither is Pastor Ben. It is good for us to be reminded of that truth. And church, it is good for you to be reminded of that truth. Friends, different elders bring different gifts and strengths that make the church and the elder body of the church stronger. Pastor Ben and I are not the same, and that is a good thing. We bring different gifts, and we bring different strengths. This is true of the church as a whole as well. We are one body made up of many members with different gifts. We need each other. None of us are strong enough to go it alone. There is a reason God has called us to gather in local churches. Friends, one of the dangers of really famous pastors, celebrity pastors, is that fame can tempt those pastors to pride in their own wisdom and teaching gifts. It doesn't take fame to do that. That can happen to, to anybody. But the other danger is that can, it can lead Christians to elevate and esteem those celebrity pastors to an unhealthy degree. They become irreplaceable or, or unaccountable in the minds of many. In subtle ways, Christians begin to trust in the wisdom and teaching of those men more than the scripture. And to trust in, in their leadership more than they trust in Jesus, who is the head of the church. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with fame or being a celebrity pastor. Many celebrity pastors have not sought fame and have remained faithful and humble despite the attention that they have received. I am grateful for the ministry of many of those men, and I have benefited greatly from the ministry of many of those men. There have been celebrity pastors in every age. But there is a danger in that system for both the pastor and the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We depend on him ultimately and no one else. Yet, God has given his church elders, under shepherds under him, the chief shepherd for the good of the church. Remember, Jethro did not just suggest that Moses share the load for his own sake. He also suggested Moses share the load for the sake of the people of Israel. It was for their good. So they would not get frustrated by not being able to have their cases heard. Well, these men Moses selected were to serve the people of Israel by teaching the people the laws and the statutes of God and applying those laws and statutes as they judged the people, as they heard their cases, as they mediated their disputes. Neither they nor Moses were to rely on their own wisdom, but the wisdom of the Lord. And they served the people by teaching them as well as helping to resolve these disputes and teaching them how to live in a way that honored the Lord. The, the role that these men played in the life of Israel, I think, is the reason for the qualifications that Jethro suggested. Let's look again at verse 21 of our text. The men selected were to be God-fearing, trustworthy, and hate dishonest prophet. In other words, men who love God and would seek to follow the word of the Lord. Men who were trusted by the people. Men who could not be bribed to pervert justice. The men selected were to be holy. Now, unsurprisingly, the list of biblical qualifications for church elders in the New Testament, those ones that Denise just read for us a few moments ago that we can also find in 1 Timothy 3, but they sound similar. Like the men in Exodus 18, church elders must have an upright character so they can serve as an example to the congregation and that they can be trusted to faithfully carry out their tasks. And they must be able to teach because like the men in Exodus 18, they will be giving spiritual counsel to God's people. They will be explaining God's word to people, helping to mediate disputes between God's people. 
They'll be encouraging, correcting, and rebuking God's people when necessary. Friends, elders are not to rely on their own wisdom or strength in these matters, but God's wisdom as revealed in his word. They are ultimately to point God's people to Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient one. Brothers and sisters, Jesus gave elders to the church as a gift, just as these men in Exodus 18 were gifts to the people of Israel. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says that Jesus gave pastors and teachers, elders to the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, having a, a plurality of elders in a local church allows more ministry to be done, allows more church members to be cared for, more spiritual counseling to take place, more biblical instruction to incur. It helps the elders not to burn out. And in those ways, it helps to multiply the ministry of the church. Though all elders are sinful and insufficient, I am certainly sinful and insufficient. And some elders prove unfaithful. The truth is that God has given elders to his church as a gift. They are for your good. They've been given the responsibility of shepherding the church until the day that the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, returns. Brothers, I long for more of you to be raised up to serve in this way. Friends, in a way that is perhaps puzzling and paradoxical, what we see here in Exodus 18 about Moses' weakness and insufficiency, and even the weakness and insufficiency of every other person other than Jesus who has ever lived, that should be an encouragement to you if you yourself feel overwhelmed, or if you feel exhausted, or if you feel burned out. But God's solution to you is not to say, hey, just be more like Moses, or be more like David, or hey, go be more like Paul. His solution to you is not to rely on your own strength. Friends, the answer is to remind yourself that you do not have to hold everything together. God is the one who is in control. God might have given you more than you can handle, but the answer is to rest more in Jesus to take your burdens to him. The answer is to look to the one who has all power and authority, to ask him to strengthen you and encourage you. Remember those words from Isaiah chapter 40 that we read last week. Isaiah chapter 40 was written to the people of Israel who were in exile in Babylon. They'd been years away from their own country and were certainly exhausted and burned out. This is what the Lord said to them. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, if you are exhausted or overwhelmed or burned out, the answer is to turn to the Lord. It is to rest in your all-sufficient God. The reality of the Christian life is that we all carried a burden that was too great for us to bear. We all carried the burden of our sin and our guilt. 
But Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his death, you have been freed from your guilt and you have been freed from your burden of sin. Jesus has carried your burden of sin and he can and will sustain you in the circumstances of your life. He proved it at the cross. Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, perhaps the truth is that you feel exhausted and overwhelmed and burned out from carrying your own burden of sin. You feel burned out by trying to earn God's favor on your own, by working and working and working and just hoping that one day God will be pleased enough in you. Brothers, that is, brothers and sisters, that is not the message of the gospel. It says that we cannot work and work and to ever find God's favor. That God gives it freely by his grace if you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Jesus says, come to him in repentance and faith and you will find rest for your souls. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that if you are feeling burned out, exhausted, overwhelmed, like you don't have hope, God, like Moses, has not left you alone. He has given of himself, certainly. But he's also given you the church. He's not just given you the elders of the church either. He has given you one another. As fellow Christians and members of the same local church, we are called to carry one another's burdens. Because Jesus has carried our burden of sin. We are to carry the burdens of one another, the spiritual and physical burdens that we have. To encourage those who feel exhausted and burned out. To help those in need. To encourage and correct those who are struggling with sin. So if you are here today and you do feel exhausted and burned out, well, turn first to Jesus. But second, turn to the church. And if you are here and you do not feel exhausted or burned out or overwhelmed, perhaps consider seeking out those who do. Encourage them by pointing them to Christ. Brothers and sisters, none of us are sufficient in ourselves. We need one another, and we need to be reminded over and over and over again that we serve an all-sufficient God. Let's pray.